This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Wonderful World of Remnant Radio. Today, we're talking about soul ties. Is it a thing? We'll see. You stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a crowd-funded show where we interview pastors, teachers, historians, and theologians from different churches and denominations. My name is Joshua Lewis, and this is my co-host, Michael Roundtree. Together, we want to help you break outside of your theological echo chambers. If you're interested in learning about history, theology, or the gifts of the Spirit, this is the show for you. Today we have an intervention planned, talking about some soul ties. But before we get into that intervention, I want to remind you guys that Remnant Radio is entirely crowdfunded. Uh, we, uh, we we produce our content because viewers like you. There's different ways you can support in the links of the description. You can give a one-time gift on PayPal or you can give a reoccurring gift on Patreon. If you get choose to give on Patreon, you can give as low as five bucks a month and you'll get access to extra content like our Screwtape book club that we're doing. Every single Saturday, we're going through two different letters of the Screwtape. Uh, it's a book by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's really interesting. You should join in on that conversation every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. CST. Uh, well, yeah, we'd love to have you there if you choose to so join. Uh, speaking of that intervention, um, I'm speaking, if you saw the graphic, Michael Roundtree, uh, his deep soul tie to the ballet. Michael, can you can you tell us where this obsession with the ballet first came from? <laughs> yeah, I you know, it's so back so far back, I can't remember. I like actually in utero, I was you know, doing the twirls. So you're doing a you know, it is it right is. out of the womb. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, you know what? I hadn't been paying attention to, to Josh making this ballet like graphic thumbnail. If you're listening on the audio <laughs> podcast, go to YouTube and check out the thumbnail on this show. It's kind of ridiculous. And then Josh, <laughs> read the description of this show. Just read it for our, our viewers here. You got You'd that like pulled me up? To read it? Yeah, I can. I, I would can like read for you to you. read it because I think it, it gives some really important context. Yes, yeah, so it says Miller and I have been trying to explain to Michael Roundtree that his absolute obsession with the ballet is, is a demonic soul tie. We begged and pleaded for him to repent, but he just refused to listen. The episode of Remnant Radio will be more of an intervention than a theology podcast. Uh, but <laughs> if you tune in, we'll make sure to explain if there is a biblical precedent for soul ties. Okay, so That's I that. had no idea that any of this was going on and guys as it turns out it's actually well my birthday today <laughs> and i was like bro that's just like cruel and unusual punishment it's my birthday you should be like celebrating me and you're publicly destroying me in front happy of birthday, all Michael. these people yeah happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> but hey on a serious note soul ties is a big discussion it's a it's a big discussion because this is uh, it's big in the charismatic church, and so the question is, are soul ties real? Uh, if you ever come across inner healing ministries, deliverance ministries, they talk about soul ties. You say, well, where is that in the Bible? Well, we're going to talk about that today. Is it biblical? Is it not biblical? Is it quasi biblical? Is there a better sort of vocabulary for it? So we're going to talk about all those things. But before we do, we need to hear about the boy in the basement. From the basement. Basement boy, how are you doing over there in Denver, Colorado? <laughs> I'm good. I, I got in last night from Mississippi where my kids got to be in a wedding uh, last night at like 1 a.m. So I'm still a little bit tired, and uh, but it was fun. My, my son was a ring bearer. My daughter got to be a flower girl. Uh, probably like the cutest outfits I've ever seen on kids in my life. So uh, I'm good. All that to say, happy to be back, though. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so Josh, how are we going to talk through this episode? Do you want to walk us through some of the kind of uh, the outline? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's start off in just talking about soul ties. Many of you are going to come to this video and you have a preconception of what a soul tie is. Uh, you're, you're probably going to have that preconception because you've stumbled into someone at your church that's explained what this is, or you've heard someone in your church explain why soul ties aren't a thing and they're not in the Bible. Say again? No, go ahead. You're good. 
Okay, my, my apologies. So, so it's not really a, a, a monolithic kind of description. Everyone's going to define this thing a little bit differently because the phrase itself, soul tie, is not actually found in the scriptures. Now, the three of us here, I think, all have some kinds of hesitation on whether we want to talk about soul ties as a definitive thing. Um, I think what people are identifying, what they're calling as a soul tie, um, is actually probably a thing. But, but I don't know that the soul tie is all that helpful in vocabulary. The way that I like to explain it is um, the way we talk about holiness Pentecostals and uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I actually think the Baptists are right that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place at salvation. But I think the practice of the Pentecostals is right in seeking power from God for ministry. So like I can look at one group and say, hey, you're practicing this correctly. And then look at the other group and say, I actually think that your vocabulary is more accurate. So I don't care for the language of soul ties because I don't think it's biblical vocabulary. But I do think that they're probably touching on something uh, that is probably a biblical practice. Okay, Those are my thoughts. Josh, Josh or Michael, either of you answer this. Okay, so no one's arguing that soul ties appears in the Bible with those precise words. That's right. Uh, they're simply saying that principally this exists in the Bible, and we'll, we'll look at some of those verses that are used. But um, what would you say, uh, either of you, to someone who says, well, okay, you guys are against the vocabulary of soul ties, even though you recognize there's something to it. Um, so what's, what's the problem with the fact that, I mean, we do the same thing with the Trinity. The, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but we identify Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons. In the scripture, we've given a language to that. We're just doing the same thing with soul ties. We're giving language and articulation to something we've observed in the Bible and an experience. So uh, what would you guys say to someone who uh, responds that way? I think the, the problem with this particular thing is that we already don't agree with the language. We agree that there's something going on, and, and I have bunch of sh stories that we'll share today and, and that I've shared with you guys privately but um, but the language itself implies that the connection that is sort of built between two people is uh, something that's uh, spiritual only in nature um, and that's usually created through some sort of physical exchange or some sort of emotional exchange but it's not very clear as to what that exchange is um, and then you know and the, the the scripture around those things is not near as clear as the scriptures we find when it comes to the Trinity. I mean, the Amen. Spirit being equated with the Lord, very clear in scripture. The uh, the Father and the Son being equated with one another, very clear in scripture. So th that's probably another major component to this. This this isn't this isn't quite apples to apples as the Trinity, which can be very clearly spelled out in Scripture. Um, this has some, I would say, maybe at best inferential evidence, and um, I think a lot of it, you know, I've kind of boiled down to some form of idolatry, um, uh, but not idolatry in the narrowly defined sense as we uh, are making sacrifices you know, blood sacrifices to an actual idol. Uh, I boil it down to placing something um, uh, or, or a person or a relationship uh, in front of God. Um, I think that's kind of where I'm seeing these things happen. So we are describing something that we think is real. I just don't think the language is accurate or specific. Yeah. And it also <laughs> implies trichotomy theology or ontology. And there, there also would be a... a strong agreement in the early church, a, a not strong, unanimous agreement on a, taking a, a, a word like Trinity and then ascribing to it a very specific attributes and characteristics. And then not only that was that a uniform agreement on that, it has then been carried around for 2000 years. So there's a lot of theological consistency in using the phrase Trinity. Whereas if I polled, you know, six different churches on what is a soul tie, they'd probably all come up with six different definitions and, and six different ways in which that was extrapolated, which, which makes right. it difficult because we're all using the same vocabulary, but we're each using a different dictionary, which I think makes this increasingly complex. So, so I, I would ask you guys though, you know, I just mentioned you pull those six different churches, the way that they see soul ties being used. H how have you guys seen people talk about soul ties? Have you seen it being practiced or talked about in ways that aren't strictly biblical that are kind of odd that are kind of weird i'd love to get some of your feedback hmm yeah you know that's a good question i, I mean i think over the years uh it's i've heard stories about people it's like oh you have this soul tie therefore you have to you know burn this jacket that you used to have and you have to do it becomes almost like a new law of things that you have to do to break off a soul tie 
I'm not suggesting that everyone does that. I am suggesting that some do. And, uh, and so it becomes almost like a charismatic legalism. Here are the things you need to do to break the soul tie. One of you, uh, I think it was you, Michael, that talked about the, the, the real fundamental issue here is idolatry. The, place, the placing of any, <laughs> call it a noun, any person, place, or thing, even concept or idea, before God. I mean, it could even be the idea of getting married or the idea uh, of no longer being in such and such life stage. Maybe when my kids reach this age, then I'll be happy. I've told my church before that if you want to know what your idol is, just fill in the blank. I'll be happy when I get this new job. I'll be happy when I finally graduate. I'll be happy when that's your idol. And so anything that's, that is an idol, it creates this sort of natural attachment. Now, some people want to call that soul tie, but the, the fundamental thing here is that the way we break off that attachment is by repentance. And that's why we see such a heavy focus on repentance in the Bible. And I feel uncomfortable with, I, I feel uncomfortable with the prescription that like you have to say this prayer in this way and perform that action in order to break a soul tie in order that you can walk in holiness. It feels a little bit like adding to the scripture. It feels a little bit like endangering the sufficiency of scripture. If I have a, a codified process to break a soul tie, when at the end of the day, what we're talking about idolatry and, and, and the solution to idolatry is actually, it's hard, but it's simple. Repent. Repent of your sins. Might there be a walking out of that repentance? I, I mean, I'm not saying there should never be a time to like, you know, burn something you used to have. I mean, we talked actually about that in the last episode. I'm not, I'm not saying that that's never called for. I'm just, in charismatic world, the degree of codification of essentially charismatic law um, as a way of sort of replacing repentance, supplanting rep repentance by basically just let this person pray over you and it'll be broken and therefore easy. It doesn't actually work that way. You actually do have to repent. Now, not every soul tie practitioner practices it that way. So there's sure. a little bit of, I'm just saying I've seen that before. Yeah, well, the abuse, but, the outside. I think, I think on some level I practice breaking off these things with people, but I, I don't necessarily call them soul ties. But also I don't know, and, and this is, this is sort of where I get a little bit up in the air about some of these things. Because uh, something you, you mentioned is idolatry, but I wouldn't necessarily call um, adultery, sex outside of marriage, I wouldn't necessarily call that idolatry. And many people would, would narrowly define a soul tie as uh, a bond created when two people have uh, sex with one another. And those... Uh, re those sexual relationships with one another that are hap that happen outside of marriage are the kinds of soul ties that need to be broken. Um, but I, but I, the kind of connections that I've had experience with and that I, I see some scriptural precedent are not specifically sexual in nature always. Um, I, I've seen other kinds of connections created, like, like we mentioned, through idolatry of some sort or letting... Um, usually through an oppressive force as well. Uh, somebody who's a, a leader or uh, a parent that's sort of manipulated and controlled someone else um, that, that can kind of fit within the category of idolatry. Um, what do you have to say about that component of it, Michael, that, that, that idolatry would not necessarily equate with adultery or sex outside of marriage or bond created uh, sexual relationship? I, I think adultery would be categorized as idolatry. Uh, Paul broadens it in both Colossians and Ephesians and describes... Uh, I think Col I want to say Colossians three five, but I, I'd have to double check. But he says need is idolatry. Uh, so idolatry, yeah, it amounts so he to broadens it, it, he broadens it to greed. And in the in the Hebrew thinking, greed included not just I want things, but I want another man's wife. For instance, to covet another man's wife. It's actually built into the Ten Commandments. Well, if you've gone so far as adultery, you're you're not just coveting another man's wife. You're you are sleeping with another man's wife. You're you're actually living it out. So so I would say it's it's actually a a very uh, almost perfect expression of what greed is because it's saying me me more more my my, but with not just things but an actual person, a person who belongs by covenant to somebody else, and so. Um, so yeah, I would define it as, uh, so like a hedonistic as idolatry. idolatry. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. So, so, so if this is the verse you're now, looking Michael, for. Help me, help me understand, Michael. Why is the question of whether adultery is idolatry an important question for the soul ties conversation for you? Well, just the definition that you well, give. Yeah, I think uh, the, the reason I mention it is because some people would narrowly define a soul tie as being a connection that's sexual in nature between two people that needs to be that, that's either formed through marriage or is formed outside of the marriage and therefore needs to be broken. And I think that that narrow definition actually excludes a lot of connections that people build that actually on some level do need to be broken. So like I would affirm the idea that there are relational connections that need to be broken and that the that there is I don't know if it's demonic or if it's, you know, psychological. I, I really don't. I don't have any kind of definition um, or defined way of, of, of uh, talking about this yet, but I, I would affirm that it needs to be broken all the same. And I've seen yeah. the results there, of, of breaking these things personally, like several examples. There's a lot of people in the comment section saying, hey, what is this? I don't know what this is. You guys are talking about it, but you haven't defined it. Some people are saying, hey, this exactly. seems kind of extra biblical. We're, we're going to we're going to dive into um, the kind of things that we've seen as soul ties that seem to be present in scripture. But again, we're not going to call them soul ties for That's not the, our preferred the totality. Language. We don't even it, prefer that language. Um, you, Josh, you mentioned we actually do think it why. is new age. Can, we, we would agree that it is new agey, that term. Yeah. That, that term and that language. I, I want to read this a, a, Colossians a 3, people, 5 though, Michael. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you brought this up. It says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that, that that plugs in. Yeah, and, and do you notice that in that list, it's all, I mean, with the exception of evil desires, which could be broader than sexual, but in that context, it seems like he's talking about evil sexual desires because he's sexual immorality, lust, adultery, right. I think he mentions. Uh, so so it's like a fam, it's like a, a sin family that he's putting all together in Colossians 3, 5, categorized in their entirety as idolatry. But Miller, I think what I would say is, I would say that adultery is idolatry, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. limit idolatry to adultery. Idolatry right, is right. much broader than adultery. And I would say that idolatry by its very nature gives you an unhealthy tie to whatever it is. We're, we're inherently tied to whatever it is that we worship. If God is first in my life, I am connected to him. So the first commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the worship of God, the prioritization of God above all things involves a heart connection word, the word love. And, and the implication is love him more than anyone and anything else. So it, it goes straight for the heart connection. And so idols wrap around our hearts like vines and they create connections. So this is why Jesus will come and he'll say, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So he's going to choose the, the closest personal relationships and say, I come first. Because if we love people more than God, we turn those people into God's. And there's an inherent connection between us and that false idol. Some would want to call that a soul tie. Um, I th I'm going to pause and let you guys respond. But Josh, I also want, I, I'd love to explain really why I'm uncomfortable with soul ties when we get a chance. So yeah, I, I know the, the language. The part of the dichotomy, trichotomy is one of the things that you want to jump into there, Michael. Um, I, I think that it's been used primarily to manipulate people in talking about, hey, you can't listen to that music, you can't watch that show, you can't do this thing because you're you're binding yourself to that, you're tying yourself somehow. And again, we're looking at that going, that's kind of a new agey, extra biblical, creating a new law. We want to avoid that. If you were out there and you were like, hey, what would be a biblical, if I want to hold on to the phrase soul tie, even though I don't think it's all that helpful, I don't think either Michael's think it's all that helpful, I do think this would be a decent definition, okay? It's primarily a psychological attachment that can affect our thoughts, our moods, and our behaviors, right? A soul tie can be good when they are life-giving and centered around God, and soul ties can also be detrimental when centered around the world, the self, or the devil, 
These detrimental soul ties are ultimately the sin of idolatry and with all sins can be demonically reinforced. So we've talked about this before in the past. If you want to have demonic affliction uh, on your life, all you have to do is sin rampantly without repentance, right? Like if you're out there and you're practicing sin and you don't repent of your sin, you're opening yourself up at least for a kind of demonic bondage to be attached to that sin. We see this with people who you know, are constantly bound in sexual immorality and they won't repent of said sexual immorality. Getting free from that can be very difficult when you have tons of demonic bondage attached to that. Um, anyway, I, the, you have to kind of go I unpack mean, some of our other content when we talk about demonization uh, in here. But but that's kind of a general definition. You say, okay, we see soul ties in the Bible too. You know, we talk about Jonathan and David, their souls are knit together. That seems relatively good, right? That seems like a good idea that their hearts are knit together, uh, you know, edifying, it's centered around God. But there's also these kinds of negative soul ties that two people become one flesh through a kind of, uh, 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 you know, sexual intercourse that can be, again, for good if it's centered around marriage, uh, but it can also be for evil when uh, we see that in First Corinthians. Is it chapter 10 uh, that also talks about um, sexual immorality with people you're not married to outside of that marriage covenant, how that can be uh, an, an ungodly bond. Miller, you had something you wanted to jump in with, uh, and I want to give Michael the opportunity to talk about dichotomy, trichotomy as well. Sure. I, well, I think the thing that we're talking about is attachment. And the fact is that not all attachments are bad. Um, some attachments can be very bad and and can allow, um, and in those uh, bad attachments, there's usually manipulation, control, idolatry, uh, things of that nature. And then there are other attachments that are good, that even started out good, but actually could become bad. And, you know, I think of, uh, so like, when again, I, I don't know, trying to use the word soul tie, because I don't find that language help me, helpful. But when I think of a friend of mine who's recently going through a divorce, um, he built a healthy attachment with his wife in the sense that they got married. They uh, had sexual relationship with one another and been, began building a life together. And that attachment got reinforced with, you know, buying their first car, buying their first house together, having their first child together, having their second child together, having a sickness together where they had to take care of one another. And then suddenly one partner decides, I don't want this life anymore. And I want to go be with this other person commits adultery. And now that relationship is disintegrating. And so my friend who's, who's uh, now been cheated on is pursuing a divorce, trying to disintegrate or, or, or disseminate the responsibilities for the kids, uh, their financial situation. And yet his heart is feeling the grief of loss. And yet I would say there's an attachment there that now needs to be broken. And how that attachment gets broken, I wouldn't call that demonic. Um, the fact that that attachment was there uh, if anything, it was the right kind of attachment to have. And so is there some sort of, uh, uh, breaking, uh, or bond that is, that needs to be broken and get, can God do that in a miraculous way? So as to set that person free to move on, uh, without, without feeling like they're constantly thinking and, and attached to that person. Um, obviously they're going to be attached on some level because they have kids together, but, but you could see why this is an important conversation that, that, uh, has ramifications because we're not just talking about sinful action that leads to these sort of bonded, uh, relationships. We're also talking, well, I mean, a sinful that could tear up one part, but, but not sin on both parties. All that to say, um, sorry, you, you can see why I think it's important to kind of parse these things out. Absolutely. And, and we're doing a lot of groundwork today. I mean, we're 22 minutes in and we haven't even really dove into, again, good kinds of right. stuff, bad kinds of stuff. Michael, do you want to uh, touch on the dichotomy, trichotomy thing? Is, is what one of the reasons you don't really find this language super helpful? And then we're going to probably dive into some of our examples. Yeah. Yeah. And I would go beyond not helpful to say it's actually uh, mildly, maybe very mildly harmful. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to say that if you use the language of soul ties, you're destroying people's lives or anything like that. But uh, I think clarity is helpful and disclarity um, or because uh, here's what I I feel as though the language of soul ties, uh, it speaks with a greater clarity than the scriptures speak to. Back to the Trinity right. example. Scripture's super clear about Trinity, even though it doesn't use that word. So we use a word to describe what the scriptures are clear about. But with soul ties, <clears throat> with soul ties, 
you know, you touched on the dichotomy trichotomy. Not all of our viewers know what that is. So uh, there is a debate, and it's a reasonable debate within the church of of whether human beings uh, consist of body, soul, and spirit, and that there are three hard distinctions between these two, where the spirit refers to your, say, spiritual life and your soul to your emotional life and your body to your physical body. Okay, so that's that's one school of thought called trichotomy because three parts. And then the other school of thought is dichotomy, die meaning two. And, uh, and it's really there's a material and an immaterial self. And it says, you know what, the Bible speaks in various ways about our inward life. And it's really hard to make hard and fast distinctions between them. So for instance, in Mary's Magnificat, uh, Luke chapter one, she says, uh, my soul, I'm paraphrasing here, I might get the wording wrong, but it's like verse 46 and 47. My soul rejoices in God, my salvation, my my spirit magnifies the Lord. I think it's my soul magnifies the Lord. Anyway, she uses soul and spirit like her soul is rejoicing and her spirit is rejoicing. And it's like, okay, so she, are our soul and spirit used interchangeably here? Um, but then you read other passages uh, where you'll see like Revelation uh, 6, the souls of the martyrs are under the altar. So soul seems to speak of like kind of our spiritual self. But then at other times, Hebrews 12, it's our uh, our spirit that uh, the spirits of the righteous made perfect, or uh, then then the soul is emotional in the Psalms. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and why are you disturbed, oh my soul? And so, it there's a lot of confusion on that. And so I, we'll, someday we'll do a whole episode on dichotomy, trichotomy. But my my point is, when I hear someone talk about soul ties, I don't know what they're talking about. Are they talking about my emotional life? Because sometimes the Bible uses soul to speak of our emotional life. Are they talking about my spiritual life? Because sometimes the Bible uses soul to speak of my spiritual life. Are they speaking of a demonic attachment? Are they speaking of some side of a psychological or some sort of mythical uh, attachment? I, there's so many categories that that leaves unclear. And, and I think a lot of charismatics are ardently tri, uh, trichotomists and they don't know why they've never studied it. And again, we can have that debate and I have friends that, that go both ways on that. Uh, but my point is, I just feel like it, it creates disclarity in the body of Christ. And then you're prescribing actions based on nebulous language and, uh, and undefined language. And I just, that's why I would say it, it ranges from unhelpful to possibly a little harmful. And, and there is so, a uh, wide actually, range. Actually, one more thing, Josh. Okay. One more thing. Uh, so in my church, we do acknowledge that, you know what, where there is idolatry, there is attachment. So uh, in my church, we, we just use the language of ungodly ties versus godly ties, Got ungodly ties or ungodly attachments. And it's just a recognition that, you know what, there is some kind of attachment there, but I don't want to speak with greater clarity than what the scripture speaks and claim that I have some sort of insight that goes beyond the Bible. No, the scriptures are sufficient. All we need is the scriptures. Okay, Josh, now you can go. No, I was just going to say, I, I did a bit of reading today on trichotomy, dichotomy. I think Louis Burkhoff has got some helpful stuff. You guys have scribed his systematic theology. You can just jump on there and, and read it right now. Um, uh, he, he, he mentions that early on, a lot of the early church fathers were uh, trichotomists. They talked about the trichotomy quite frequently frequently until Apollinarius showed up and tried to use the trichotomy as a way to justify a kind of corrupted nature of Jesus. Um, and, and they fought against that early church father. So they became dichotomist. Uh, and then there was kind of a long period of time where dichotomy was uh, around from Apollinarius. Basically to the Protestant Reformation, they would say this like the vast majority position, not to say that there weren't detractors some, you know, throughout there. Uh, but then after the Protestant Reformation, some chose to use a trichotomy position again. Uh, I would side with Michael in saying that you can be a dichotomist and an orthodox Christian and a trichotomist and an orthodox Christian. And there has been mixed positions throughout church history. So, um, yeah, the, the, the idea of soul tie though, does impose a, a necessity on a trichotomy though. Uh, I think probably unnecessarily. Let's talk about some of those godly, ungodly ties. Michael, you, you mentioned your church, they hold to these different position, the, the, these different positions. I mentioned earlier that David and Jonathan were knit together. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I think it's in First Samuel 18. Uh, their hearts were knit together. Can you can you maybe explain uh, what other godly soul ties might be? Or I say not. You don't want to use ties, but like 
or soul ties. You want to say godly ties or godly unions with other people. What, what would be Bible verses that kind of talk about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think Jonathan and David is a good example. Their friendship was a good thing. And, um, and I think, you know, Proverbs 27 speaks a lot about friendship and iron sharpening iron and uh, the counsel of a, of a friend being sweet to the soul. And, and so, uh, I mean, here's just kind of straight from our inner healing handbook at our church, but godly ties are connections to people, place, materials, or passions that are healthy, life-giving, and centered on God. They're evidenced by the ability to stir up one another toward love and good works. Uh, so basically, it, it can... It, I mean, we are human. We can't be completely detached from the world. God doesn't even want us to. There's a cinch. I mean, th there's a reason we have a saying like home is where the heart is. There, there's an attachment that we have to the, you know, to whatever home is for us, If uh, at least if we had a healthy home. Uh, and so, so that's what that saying means. But what if God calls you to be a missionary? Well, now that attachment to home is no longer a, a good thing. It's actually causing you to stay where you're uh, to stay in place. Or um, le let's say that you want to let's let's say that you want to become a Christian, and your spouse is like, "I hate Jesus," and if you become a Christian, I'm going to leave you. And you're like, "Okay, well, I just won't be a Christian then." That would be an ungodly. Uh, tie or attachment. So anything that just comes before God, that would be an unhealthy or ungodly attachment. But if God is first, then we're free to, to have attachments to persons, places, things. So kind of the definition of a noun there, a person, place, or thing, taking you back to grade school there. So, so but you're free ties. to you prefer noun ties, Michael. Noun ties. You can be you can be tied to nouns as long as you are tied to God first. That's right. Okay. So uh, I think you can uh, also think... be a, a tied to an ideology, which is helpful to think about as well when you think about doctrines of demons. Uh, uh, you know, certain kinds of uh, ideologies that cause us to commit actions that would uh, be considered sin, but within that ideology, you would think that it's good. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about, uh, Trevor's question. Michael, you said, Hey, we want to try to get to Trevor's question. He asked, you know, what's the value in trying to construct, whoop, construct a serious discussion around a make-believe doctrine? Does soul ties add anything for living a godly life that doesn't exist clear in scripture? So uh, Trevor, or I think that's Trevor, uh, to, to your, to your question, I think that there is an experience that a lot of charismatics have where they might have an unhealthy relationship with their parent or they have uh, a past of uh, you know, sexual bondage and they come up to the altars and they're asking for prayer and someone prays for them and the person that's praying for them says something like, hey man, uh, you know, before you came to the Lord, did you, you know, were you quite promiscuous or whatever? I don't know. That's a question that you're supposed to ask in the altars, but something to that effect. And they go, yeah, man, I, X, Y, and Z. It's like, well, can we just ask God for forgiveness just for a moment? I think you might have some ties to people uh, sexually, because that's what the Bible talks about. And we're going to sever those ties to ask God for forgiveness. And they ask God for forgiveness. And there's a level of liberty. There's a level of freedom that they walk in. And because of this experience, they look back and they go, well, I know this doctrine is true because what I've experienced. So we look at that and we say, okay, there's some kind of idolatry. There's some kind of unholy union that took place there. And they actually felt a kind of liberty after a prayer, after that, that relationship was severed. Um, and, and we want to affirm that experience, but we want to attach biblical language to it. I hope that's helpful, Trevor, because we, we're, we're trying to help people who are maybe not charismatic, who don't really know that this could be a thing. That's what, I mean, the Bible talks about these, these unholy unions that keep us bound to people. And, and, and yet we also know other people who have an experience that might not be attached to biblical language. So we're trying to kind of create a bridge here for people who, who could get liberated. We actually think this will be helpful for them to pray through repentance on these issues. And then other people who don't have biblical vocabulary, we want to give them biblical vocabulary and, and texts of scripture that might kind of show what that is. Is that helpful? Is there anything else that you guys would want to add? I know, Miller, you said you wanted to, well, to respond to Trevor. We can, we can, I think responding to it anecdotally would be helpful uh, to, to help them see why the, this has practical implications on life and godliness. So uh, we had done a, a weekend on healing and deliverance and had a guest come in and speak on this topic uh, at a church I was at. And the guest that spoke on it spoke on soul ties. Again, we on the podcast don't agree with the language, but we do agree with the experience that they're trying to, to 
that they're using the word soul tie for. Um, and he prayed for anybody in the group that had had a uh, former relationship, albeit either sexual or emotional, where there was an attachment and a bond that needed to be severed. Um, and so this one young girl in the community had had been sort of on again, off again with a former relationship, trying to move past it and get away from it. And, and because it just didn't seem like a healthy relationship. And so she's praying for uh, this bond to be broken. And uh, after they pray for her, she feels free. Like she no longer had any desire to be with that person. She felt uh free to move forward in life and to uh, pursue health. And then uh, what was most interesting though about this was that right afterwards, she was able to talk to her ex-boyfriend. And at the very time that, that the church was praying for her to have this bond broken, he was on the other side of the country uh, and literally started throwing up and then also felt a similar sort of relief where he no longer felt attached to her and needed that relationship to continue. And so I don't know what to do with that, but I know for both of them, they both felt free to pursue God in a way, whereas previous, they felt this constant draw towards one another uh, that that was not that, that should not have been there. So Miller, let, me, uh, let me just push back and say, hey, you're... The, you're creating a doctrine around the experience of individuals, right? Okay, someone had a testimony sure. that they felt, and you can't create a new doctrine or new practice around a spiritual experience someone had. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I'm saying I, I totally agree that we shouldn't create a doctrine, but does that mean that I shouldn't look at my experiences and go, what does the Bible have to say about my experience? Uh, am I allowed to go to the scriptures to say, hey, does, does God have anything to say on that matter right there? Um, or somebody else's experience for that matter. Uh, and if anything, I think that's actually what we should do is we should try to interpret our experiences using the scriptures uh, as best as we can if the scriptures speak to those things. So Miller, this person has uh, an ungodly relationship, an ungodly tie, and they they don't know that it's affecting them spiritually. And we, we know, because we've talked about this in great detail, that if you practice sin without repenting of that sin, um, that, that, that you're, you, you can be oppressed by that. So you, you're looking at the scriptures and saying, okay, there's, there's some kind of unrepentant sin that is, that is taking place and there's some kind of subsequent oppression and they're ignorant of that. They don't know that that oppression is taking place. So this experience, um, uh, we can interpret through the scriptures that say sin is bad and that oppression can happen through sin. Is that, is that like a cohesive thought all the way through? Yeah, I, I think the question that I still have in my head is there is when you say oppression, does that mean uh, some sort of demonic spirit that's creating that oppression or is the the relationship and the bond itself the oppression? A more psychological. That, yeah, psychological. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know a lot about attachment theory. Metaphysical. I tried to do a little bit of research prior to this. Um, but yeah, I really don't know. Like, what is the substance of that attachment? Uh, and why is it yeah. that when this was broken, the person on the other end of it, uh, not even in the room, started throwing up the exact same time? Like, I still don't have explanations for some of this, hmm. scripturally yeah. speaking. Yeah, so, but but the inability to define the nature of that attachment, is there some sort of demonic uh, connection here? Is this spiritual? Is it psychological? Uh, or is it something else? is why I much prefer the language of ungodly ties versus soul ties, which claims too much because you don't actually right. know the nature of that attachment. Um, and then I think the other thing that I would say to T. Trevor, uh, the, the viewer who chimed in with that question, I actually, I sympathize with the question because I think what he's getting at is like, listen, if the Bible gives me everything I need for life and godliness and the Bible doesn't mention soul ties, why do I need to go hunting down soul ties as if this is going to be the key to my sanctification? If Paul didn't know what a soul tie was, if even Jesus didn't know what a soul tie was, do I need to know what a soul tie is in order to be holy? I sympathize with that because it, I take really seriously the sufficiency of Scripture. And I, uh, which sufficiency of Scripture, what does it mean? It's a doctrine. And it means that the Scriptures give us everything we need for life and godliness, for salvation and godliness. So uh, it's, it's not like, man, you know, Carl Jung can really help me uh, be sanctified in the Lord in the way the Bible couldn't. Like, no, that would violate the, the, the sufficiency of Scripture. So if there's a way to, to uh, grow in holiness, like if I need some outside source 
some invented experience or some uh, written about experience about soul ties that somebody else, like if I need that in order to be fully sanctified, then the scriptures aren't sufficient. And, and that's really bad. So I, I sympathize with the question, but I, I think what I would say is this actually brings us to a point of discernment. Like, uh, you know, I saw somebody else in the chat saying, if anybody mentioned soul ties, I'd walk out of that church. Uh, I wouldn't walk out so fast. To me, it would be, it would depend on how they talk about it. So uh, if they're talking about soul ties and they're using it in such a way that they're asking the spirit to search your heart, like you see so often in the Psalms, search me, O God, and know my heart, test me and know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If they're asking the spirit to search your heart for any unhealthy attachment or idol that your heart might have wrapped itself around so that you might repent of that idol? Tell me what's wrong with that. Tell me what's unbiblical about that. Tell me in what way does this violate the sufficiency of Scripture? No, we're just allowing the Spirit to search every nook and cranny of our heart so that we can seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. That's all it is. So if they're talking about it like that, then praise God, may the Spirit search all of our hearts so we can align with Him. But if they're talking about it in contrast, like, hey, I have the secret recipe. The secret recipe is you got to find out your soul tie. So let's just, you know, so first you got to know language, soul tie. Then you got to say this magical prayer. So just repeat after me. And they got some paragraph of a prayer that you got to pray in order to be set free. Then it starts to take the feel of you got to know the vocabulary. You got to have the insider information. Sounds a little like Gnosticism. Uh, you, you, you have to uh, recite this uh, incantation like prayer, the spell over yourself. Then that veers Jeez, you're from hard on the, the paint, primary, Michael. yeah, from the primary <laughs> issue being repentance of idolatry, which that's what this is supposed to be about to being about Gnostic knowledge, Gnostic being sort of like this insider knowledge that only the few have, and then casting an incantation-type spell upon yourself to be set free, and then, oh, I could just finally be free if I find the magic words. That's sinful. That itself is idolatry. Run from that. So I would nuance it. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of those. Uh, Michael, maybe you can walk us through uh, what some ungodly ties. We talked about a godly tie, right? Like a uh, a really, you go to your church regularly, you're tied to your church, you're tied to the Lord, you're, you've got a relationship with Jonathan, you're tied in heart together, right? You're not forsaken the sacred mm-hmm. assembly. These are good ties to have in our life. They form us, they shape us, they're, they're a net positive to our life. Uh, but maybe you talk to us about some of the ungodly ties, what those look like. And I know, Miller, you've got some stories that kind of tie into that, where whether they be sexual morality or, or other things like that. So, so Michael, you want to you wanna start with us, Roundtree? Uh, give us what an, some ungodly ties could be. Yeah, I mean, certainly sexual would, it could be sexual. So say fornication outside of marriage, uh, sexual behavior, certainly if it was abusive within marriage as well. Um, but but sexual was a big one. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 6, like uniting yourself to a prostitute sexually. I mean, man, I or uniting Christ to a prostitute. Man, that so there's like spiritual involved, there's physical involved because he quotes Genesis and being one flesh. So um, I mean, that's a mysterious connection, but that's a, a connection I don't think any of us want. So there's the, that of uh, a sexual nature. I would say any addiction uh, is placing a thing. It's placing a, a bottle. It's placing a pill. It's placing a person even before God. They, uh, counselors will define codependency as basically relationship addiction. Uh, Larry Crabb, I think it was, who said that if you're drowning and someone else's life flashes before your eyes, you know you're codependent. <laughs> um, Dang. But <laughs> yeah. So, but man, I, I know about this myself. Um, <laughs> I, I had to walk through a real journey of, uh, of overcoming uh, codependence or codependency. It's used both ways. Uh, in uh, the early days when Jack was, Jack Deere was a mentor. To me, and he's still a mentor figure in my life. But um, in the early days, I was honestly a little starstruck and like, "Oh wow, Jack's mentoring me." And and um, there were aspects of uh, there were aspects where maybe I was 
more concerned about what Jack thought of me than what the Lord thought of me or what Jack wanted me to do versus what the Lord wanted me to do. And that doesn't mean that Jack was like, hey, Michael, go sin or something silly like that. Uh, it, it just meant that there was uh, that Jack carried more weight to me uh, relative to the Lord than he should have for a season. And, uh, and the Lord broke that off from me, but it was actually through repentance. It wasn't through an incantation or a spell. Uh, and it, it kind of shifted the nature of, of my mentorship with Jack, but um, like in good and healthy ways. And uh, I'm not putting any of that on Jack. That was just me. I just had an unhealthy uh, sort of attachment there. But uh, like I said, it wasn't through, no one even used the language of soul ties with me on that. I just kind of discovered that because it was like doing bad things to my soul, you know, to my spiritual life. And, uh, and I kind of gradually discovered and started to repent. But uh, man, Josh, those would be uh, some examples, I think, like to apply that to somebody else. Like if uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend or even a spouse that you're supposed to be attached to becomes the center of your life and you, you start to care more about another person and what they think about you or what they want you to do, you start to be more concerned about that than, how, how, than the degree to which you're concerned about what God thinks about you. You know, then you have a relationship addiction. So any, any addiction could be an ungodly tie. So yeah, go ahead, Miller. Well, I was going to say, I think the Michael's hitting on the dynamic here that I think is important because it's not you can a way to test whether or not you have something like this happen where there's an unhealthy relationship is often if you find yourself making compromises or decisions committing to certain behaviors that in other relationships you wouldn't commit to and so uh I mean Michael I hope this is okay to to share but like yeah, you and I and in that showcase my that situation yeah no but what <laughs> there was a moment in time where you you came to me repentant and apologizing for failing to speak up for me in a in a conflict that I had with Jack at the time um because of your own uh on some level worship of Jack you were starstruck with him and you cared a great deal of what he thought and so that caused you to fail to speak when you normally would have um and again this was Michael's not the only one guilty of this. I was also guilty of this uh, with Jack in particular. We, we both just admired him and looked up to him so much that I, I think I made small compromises in that way as well. But I, I would say this also can happen with a parent figure. Uh, so when a relationship, you know, I'm raising my kids right now and my goal is to make them eventually self-sufficient uh, uh, adults um, to where right now I make a lot of decisions for them. But my goal is to to instill in them the values that I have and that I think would be godly values and attributes so that as they become adults, they are then making their own decisions, not relying on me to make those decisions for them. However, that can become an unhealthy dynamic when parents fail to give up that, uh, that authority and to give it mm -hmm. to their children, which is why in, in Jewish culture, culture I was raised in, uh, they have a bar mitzvah and bat mitzvah. This is the moment when a woman or a man becomes a woman or a man. And there's this sort of relinquishing of control and allowing them to make decisions for themselves. Now I've seen this happen, uh, in relationships where, where that, that severing never happened. And if anything, the relationship between the child and the parent was so manipulated and controlled by the parent that that person, the child, has actually, in some sense, placed that parent above God. Uh, so it's a form of idolatry. And I remember we had a lady that we prayed for uh, a while back at a convergence conference. She had suffered with irritable bowel syndrome. That was to such a degree that she would have to find a restroom as soon as she ate. Um, and she could, would even have an accident if she didn't do that right away. And so as we were praying for her to be healed, uh, something that came in through uh, revelation, call it a word of knowledge, was that there was an unhealthy dynamic between she and her mother. And that the, the control that her mother was displaying over her life was uh, to such an unhealthy degree that, that it could be considered manipulation or even witchcraft and so when we prayed with her we prayed uh through a prayer of repentance we had her say mom i give you back what belongs to you i take back the authority that belongs to me and, and i give it back to uh i give my worship back to god um and then my buddy prayed and he said and any hooks of manipulation that are there we just we pull those out in the name of the lord jesus now here's the crazy part when he said those words she screamed out and began to cry she could actually feel hooks being pulled out of her back 
Now, I know this is sort of, you know, very weird story, but what she actually felt uh, was was real to her. But the the really interesting part to me was the uh, dynamics that changed from that day forward. One, she was healed of irritable bowel syndrome that never came back to this day. Now it was in 2017. So five years later, she's still free. Secondly, was the nature of the relationship between her, her, she and her mom had changed. And I've talked to her husband since then. He said, I've got a different woman when uh, a different wife, whenever my mother-in-law would come in town, it would be like a three, four day recovery time for my wife to get back to herself. But from that day since she is totally normal after interacting with my mother-in-law, like there, there's no like yeah. changing of her behavior, accommodating of her behavior for her mom. Uh, all of that ended from that day forward. So anyway, Praise God. I, I think it's also, I know Roundtree has something that he wants to say, but I think it's really important that y'all know I've never had an ungodly attachment to Jack Deere. I know you would think that everyone here on Remnant Radio probably has some kind of bondage and wounding with Jack. I'm super holy. I, I My don't. name's Josh would, Lewis. Let me just insert you. Would like to, I know best. that Roundtree now no longer struggles with his like, you know, the opinions of Jack Deere <laughs> lording over him. He now wrestles with that with me. You know, he really I do. cares about what I, I think I idolize you. I and, idolize you, Josh. And, but it's, so when we're you all made in that, process. We're all when, in process. When you made that... When you made the ballerina graphic on this thumbnail, Josh, it actually crushed my soul. Hey, hey it was, I, I it was good for our myself. relationship, Michael. I did it for you. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I, uh, Miller, I, I had to have him uh, pull some hooks out of me. So, um, yeah. So, uh, actually, on that note, with the hooks, here's what I here's what I want to say to some of our viewers would be like hooks. That's weird. Others would be like totally weird. Know, and they they would dismiss it. And we agree. It's weird. Um and then another group would be like, hooks. Ah, that's what it is. I got to bring the hooks out. So every time <laughs> you ran over somebody with so-called soul ties, you're like, Lord, pull the hooks out. Hooks. Nobody's, nobody's having any kind of spiritual experience. And you're like, what's wrong with the hooks prayer? You know, and, you got to so try the base prayer. The hooks aren't working right. by themselves. And, and I would say, I would say they're, they're both an error because one side turns the hooks prayer into like this new orthopraxy. Formula. This this yeah. new formula that we can apply and it always works. And, and no, that, that's not the case. Uh, what, what's happening is that this was praying in the spirit. This is what Ephesians 6 is. Ephesians 6 isn't just about praying in tongues. I think it could include that. But when it says pray in the spirit at all times, it's pray in accordance to the spirit's desires. Be so in touch with the Holy Spirit that you're praying with what's on the, the mind of the spirit. And that's available to us in Christ. And so uh, I would say that what this person was doing was they were responding to the prompting of the spirit to pray for the hooks to be removed and that the Lord just chose that kind of graphical metaphor to communicate the attachment that was present and that was about to be removed, which he confirmed in her physical body. And so to the person over here, I would say, don't turn that into a new orthopraxy. And to the person over here, I would say, don't dismiss this altogether because this was a spirit-inspired prayer in the moment. We're not trying to communicate that this is the, the new way to you know cast out soul ties or something like that. Now, so. let, let me ask this question because one of the things we kept coming back to is like, hey, uh, if, if there was some kind of ungodly tie, we kept bringing up sexual immorality because of this, this really... Uh, uh, quoted text uh, in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read it real quick. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then uh, take the members of Christ and make it a member of a prostitute? Never. Uh, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis. And then he says in verse 17, but, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Okay, so he, that, that's kind of the text that we've talked about. Hey, that's a godly tie, right? Tied to the Lord. But there's an ungodly tie tied to a prostitute. Let me ask you guys this question, because there's been so much made out of this kind of verse where people are tied together. If I looked at this verse and I looked at the Jonathan verse and they were, they were tied in their heart together, We've made so much of like this kind of spiritual attachment to people. What's not to say that this is just some kind of psychological attachment? Like someone in the comment section says, you can't separate yourself from your sexual history, right? You, 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 you've got, you know, 15 people in your past that you've, you know, been united with. What makes you think that some kind of prayer is going to sever that union? You still have a memory. It's, it's still defiled you in some way. Uh, if this is some kind of psychological 
uh, uh, oneness that you have with this person because of the sexual act, what makes you think that a prayer is going to get rid of that? There's no, there's no Bible verse that'll say that you can, you know, not, you can become two suddenly. Uh, it just says that you're one and that's somehow inseparable. I, I'd love to know what you guys think about that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, um, I don't think that it's, we're, we're not suggesting that memory would be erased or something like that. And so, uh, but a memory does by itself doesn't like knowledge that something happened doesn't have to defile me. Philippians chapter three, Paul says, forgetting what is behind me. Well, if I'm not able to forget what's behind me, that probably means I do have an attachment to something in my history, be it sexual history or something else. So, uh, but if I have psychological remembrance, yet no attachment, then there's nothing to get rid of there. So um, I, I would say it probably goes beyond, it, it would go beyond just the sheer memory of something. But uh, yeah. I, I don't know how to qualify the exact nature of any sort of attachment, to be frank. That's why I like the, the language of godly versus ungodly ties. I mean, I think everybody agrees that we get tied to things, we get attached to things. And, uh, and the scriptures definitely imply it, um, if not outright say it. But I mean, if, if Jesus says, hate your father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, or if he says, sell everything and follow me, he's uh, a paraphrase of that would be cut off your attachment to those and be attached to me. Uh, at least you're spiritually speaking. Um, well, gosh, I, I don't want to say too much. I, I would push back. Like, cut off your parents by any stretch. Yeah. I, I'm simply... Go go ahead, Miller. I don't think I worded that very well. No, no, I, I'm I'm on the same page with you. I I would push back, and and maybe I would qualify a little bit of what an attachment looks like. Um, so the idea that you're forever bound to somebody because you had had a sexual relationship with that person, um, and you're forever bound because you have the memories. There's a big difference between having a memory that's a te- that evokes a great deal of emotion and passion, versus having a memory that doesn't. So this is true of anybody who's lost a loved one. You, when, whenever there's a loss, yeah, a you feel the great deal of pain whenever you think about that loss or whenever you think about that person. But God heals that pain, uh, the wound that's created from that loss. God heals that. And he's actually made our bodies to heal themselves of that as well. And so uh, oftentimes when I think of people that I've lost from years ago that I've been healed from, the memory will be there, but the sting and the pain from that memory is not evoked. And that's kind of how you know when the attachment has has healed itself or been broken in such a way and that the wound has now healed. Um, I would say that's probably true in most of these relationships is when the emotion that's evoked from that memory is removed. That helps? Yeah. No, I, I think that's helpful. And I think that, that again, we're, we're saying, look, this has been so framed so frequently with uh, soul ties that that it does create this kind of metaphysical world that the Bible doesn't cr- clearly illustrate that when you uh, you know have intercourse with someone that you're you're some kind of metaphysically tied to them in some odd way that the scripture doesn't explicitly command so what we're saying is like we've ex- we've experienced people having idolatry in their heart and at times that idolatry seems to have some kind of demonic empowerment and again if we just reduce it down to its baseline sin, and go, okay, it's idolatry, or it's sexual immorality. And there is a demon who liked to oppress a person because of that. It's like that, that just seems so much more biblical. It seems so much more consistent. You don't have to turn yourself into a pretzel trying to explain that. Uh, and I, I love the way that you guys did that. So so we're at 4.58, right? We've got two minutes before the show is supposed to be over. So we talked uh, about uh, godly ties, ungodly ties. We kind of touched on sexual immorality. The other ties that maybe we'll talk on next week, things like emotional ties, um, again, Bible verses that we're going to have for that, uh, ungodly ties uh, of pa- to passions or places. Am I missing one in here, fellas? Uh, yeah, I think that's that's a, that's um, about it. Maybe we do a part two on this. What do you, I mean, maybe, maybe we'll, we'll see. We'll talk about part. it. I mean, we had talked about emotional ties, material ties, uh, ties to passions or places. So there's more we could talk about. I don't know. We'll see. We're, we're going to talk and decide what we want to discuss next week. But yeah. maybe for now, let's just do kind of uh, kind of a closing statement. So Josh Miller, do you guys have uh, any any closing thoughts? You know, I, for me, I, a lot of this stuff always breaks down to the pastoral care that we give people in our communities and 
uh, prayer for healing when it comes to others. Like I, I find this stuff to be important because I, I care about people being free from these kind of things. And so I want to understand and know these things so that I can bring that kind of help to others. And so I can instruct people in my church on how to pray for the sick as well. And I've just found uh, experientially speaking that there are, um, uh, pains that people have in their bodies, uh, emotional pains that have been sort of like hanging on for a long period of time, that until these things get bound or can, uh, sort of broken, um, people suffer. And so we want to help people get free, which is, that's, that's really where my heart is in, in all of this and having this discussion. Yeah, I, I would just yeah. say that th- all this comes down to the same thing. It always comes down to for me, faith and repentance. Um, believe in Lord Jesus Christ um, to forgive you of your sin and free you from your sin. The power of sin, the wages of sin, the bruises of Satan. Um, God frees you because of the cross. So uh, don't look at these things as like, oh, what's these metaphysical things? Someone's talking about soul ties. Let me go through all these hoops that, you know, Roundtree described early in the show that someone's going to create this prayer, this incantation. All, all you have to do is go to Christ, repent, ask for forgiveness for your sin, right? Trust in Jesus and, and maybe have a person pray for you. As, as James talks about, you know, the prayer of faith, go to one another, ask for forgiveness, pray the prayer of faith and you will be healed. You will recover. That's a, that's a holistic Zeluo kind of phrase there. You're being healed. You're being restored. You're being uh, uh, put back together in a in a very healthy and meaningful way. So let's not overcomplicate this. Let's say, hey, if we've had idolatry in our heart, uh, if we're if we've played with things we ought not to and it's affected us, let's just repent and believe in Jesus and see this thing removed from us. And, and we don't have to over spiritualize it. I don't want to at the same time uh, diminish or demean my charismatic brothers who have meaningful experiences. I want to say, hey, that's probably a meaningful experience. Let's just attach biblical language to it. And those who are out there who are like, hey, this is an entirely ungodly thing. We go, I think that there's probably something going on. We just need to find, uh, again, biblical language to uh, attribute those kinds of activities to. Roundtree, do you have any closing thoughts? And, and and right after you do, I do want to let people know of some of the shows we have coming up. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I love what both of you guys said. I think for me, it just, it comes down to whether we're talking about inner healing, whether we're talking about deliverance or some of these, uh, these ministries that exist in charismatic churches, what you really want to pay attention to by way of discernment is, is this formula centered or is it gospel centered? Mm-hmm. If it's gospel centered, it exalts Jesus. If it's gospel centered, it the gospel is actually the key to freedom. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and impressing, bringing these truths to bear more deeply upon our hearts. This is where true freedom and true deliverance is found. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you, and will set you free. And so it's it's becoming Miller to borrow one of your phrases intimately acquainted with the truth. That's where our freedom really comes from. But if it comes to somebody's magical prayer, somebody's magical formula, somebody's magical vocabulary, like I just have to know all these things and jump through these hoops in order to be set free, that's not it. That's that's actually a new form of bondage. It's like another religion introduced into our religion. That's why we we care about this vocabulary and this disclarity so much because it it starts to become syncretistic blending Christianity with new age practices, blending Christianity with, uh, I, I don't know, just other occultish practices. And, and I'm just like, man, okay, we, we got to re- resist that really hard and just discern, is this gospel centered or formula centered? And then I think the other thing I would say is, we, you know, we Miller and I both shared a little bit about some of our own story with relational idolatry or relational addiction. I just want to encourage anybody uh, out there, there's real freedom and freedom's amazing. Uh, and, uh, and I just want to encourage you to, to repent of, th- of that, share it with somebody that you can love and trust, process it with them. And honestly, most of this stuff without the special vocabulary, I mean, you can pretty much just share it with somebody you love and trust, repent, and, and receive prayer and that's and, and do that on a consistent ongoing basis and that's where you'll find freedom I think so josh you were going to say about the great. show yeah next week shows. really excited about this program with uh dr michael brown uh, i think we're going to try to talk about the new apostolic reformation uh, we here on the the show we're charismatic we we believe in the gifts of the spirit we kind of hold an unpopular charismatic position we think maybe the nir is actually a thing and a helpful category dr brown doesn't i think that's going to be a really exciting show for a lot of people uh to tune in and hear those two ideas being fleshed out uh, dr carmen imes is going to be coming on the show there was a big uh, twitter thread that kind of blew up 
about uh, David and Bathsheba. Was that a kind of rape relationship? Because a lot of people are saying that it was, but really was it? We'll be talking about that. Dr. Graham Cole, uh, Dr. Uh, Justin Bass, uh, Dr. Daryl Bott, Ken Keithley. Uh, uh, we've got uh, Isaiah Salvador coming back on. Uh, Anthony Scoma, an Assemblies of God pastor who's trained, I think it was at Westminster. I mean, just a, a ridiculous lineup for the next couple of weeks. So I want you to do is I want you to subscribe to the channel if you haven't subscribed already. But I also, if you're out there, help share this video or share posts around because we want to help people kind of like figure out who Remnant Radio is. I, f- I feel like our our target we've hit so many times. We need some we need some shareability with some of this content. So if you guys would, if you have subscribed, maybe share the podcast with a couple of people so that we kind of get more content out there. Uh, and like always, we're entirely crowdfunded. So there are links in the description. If you want to support the channel, you can give a one-time gift on PayPal or a reoccurring gift on Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content on Patreon, things like book club, things like live Q&As. Uh, we also have exclusive content with some of our guests like uh, Stephen Bancars, uh, Elijah Stevens, and many, many others are posted there on uh, Patreon exclusively for those viewers. If you're out there and you're like, hey, there is a specific video I want to watch, but I, I can't afford five bucks a month, you can always shoot me an email at media at theremnantradio.com and I'll send that content to you for free. Uh, you guys have a blessed day and we will see you next Monday with Dr. Michael Brown talking about the NAR stuff. Uh, anything else, fellas? Anybody? That's Anybody? It. Blessings. We'll see you next time. want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek and Hebrew. And you need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classroom. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of REMNANT Radio.